All righty. Welcome to another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast. And today we have a very special one lined up. Why is it special, you ask? Because I have with me here today the Coates brothers, John and James, twin brothers and creators of the Dino Beast comic book series. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. We're thrilled you could join us. I got, I got a chance to actually read through this. And it was, um, I, I was I was telling you before we kicked off recording that I'd, I'd been watching Jendi uh, Tarakovsky's primal thing. So it was, it just fit thematically for me and it kind of blew my mind. And that, that was like a very dino, dinosaur heavy weekend for me that I, that I put these away. Yeah. I was honestly blown away by it. Do you guys want to give us like a little primer? What What's it about? Like uh, somebody who's just walking in off the street, they just heard this podcast. What, what, What's the pitch? Yeah, uh, Dino Beast is an action-adventure comic book series uh, based in a world where it's all dinosaur sort of humanoids and some non-humanoids, but they're intelligent dinosaurs, um, sort of dinosaur barbarians. So like a, a kind of like a Conan the Barbarian theme, except with dinosaurs and every er, most things are dinosaurs. Yep, exactly. Got a couple of mammals scattered in here and there, right? Yeah, there's a few uh, running around trying not to get get whacked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds about right. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting to lay this out because like the the whole world you guys made is is it's it's real weird. Like it's a real weird world. Like it's not it's not what you'd kind of typically see like I, I definitely get like a Saturday morning cartoon vibe like for anybody who was into like say Thundercats or something like that a little bit of like because Thundercats yeah. has like five characters in it and they're the animated ones and then like they kind of wander through the world and you just always look in the background and you're like is that like a destroyed building there did someone live there what's going on and they're like not important to the story we'll move on and in your in your comics like I see a lot of this like kind of desolate wasteland and 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 you often kick off with like just these vistas of different areas and I kind of get a bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe from it as well do you want to like expand on that a little bit what, what genre do you think this this fits if at all yeah well well like the the cartoon vibe is definitely one of our big influences when we started to make a book and um it definitely looks different because it's sort of like a, a story we wanted to make or we wanted to read but there wasn't anything like that that you could find. So we're like, well, yeah. we'll just make it ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's always good to just start like make what you want to read and then it'll find other, another audience too. That sounds uh, about right. Yeah. I think the post-apocalyptic vibe works well with the story also kind of like the, the Thundercats thing where like we have a character that has to go from point A to point B rather quickly so yeah. you can't you can't sit around and show like huge cities full of lots of people mm. and still have the story work so when you have like destroyed ruins and things like that you can yeah. get senses of the world quickly and keep moving on you know? mm. so that's kind of we had that you know from the get-go I guess kind of you know we needed to do something like that to make it work I think mm. so what, what's a rough layout of the story just a quick synopsis of what, what's actually happening. Well, you have uh, our main character is named Komodo, and he is uh, sort of the last of this uh, clan of dinosaur barbarians. And he is uh, sort of in a race against time to rescue a uh, little salamander princess. And we're just kind of following him along as he uh, fights enemies um, and, yeah, gets in, gets in trouble and then more trouble and more enemies. And we'll see if he uh, can rescue her or not. Yeah. And, and the thing that I really love about it is that 
and and this may again have been like influenced partly by me watching primal while i was watching it is i was constantly fearing for his life like there's not a point as i read it like um so many movies when you watch them you know when like superman lands on the scene oh good superman's here nothing's gonna hurt superman we're good i don't feel that at all when i read your comments <laughs> the world is threatening right like you build you build a world where survival is in doubt and um, even my beloved Piri, the uh, bat character that turns up early is like, I'm like pretty sure they're dead. Like, but I, it wasn't like, it wasn't given that that happened, but like wounds feel heavy and, and mortal and damaging and each encounter that he arrives at, like, I, I wonder, you know what I mean? Uh, not that you, it doesn't see, I don't get the vibe necessarily that you're, you're, you're gonna just knock him off at any point but it's still i don't know if he's gonna keep all his limbs put it that way <laughs> like, so did you guys set out to make a world that that kind of felt dangerous at every turn and and how how did you convey that did you mean to do that or was i just picking that up no that's definitely uh that's definitely by design um yeah we just wanted everything to um have a, like i guess a weight to it and um you know, if you're, if you're in a, in a fight and these are like dinosaurs or swords, we didn't want it to be just sort of, you know, like a, a Ninja Turtles cartoon where they've got swords, but they're not going to cut anybody with them. So yeah, right. why do you even have it then? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot you know? of sense. There's precious little dismemberment in, uh, in Ninja Turtles. Like it's, it's vastly disappointing. No, it's like, it makes sense though. It's like, why have draw these big, sharp, scary looking, intimidating weapons only to, um, you know, bonk people on the head with the, with the not sharp end, you know, is like your method yeah. of taking them down. It seems odd to train with those kinds of lethal weapons if that's what you're aiming to do. And, and I definitely feel that because it's a lot of your characters as well, being dinosaurs, they have sharp pointy bits and like they use them to great effect, particularly the, uh, the, 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 uh, the tyrannosaurus uh, tyrants. Um, and, and they're genuinely mm. like, scary like every battle is kind of one where you're 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 unsure if you'll make it out the other side or not and it's it makes for this kind of an, an interesting contrast with even your art style because as as i was reading it through there were things that i found like um i was talking to dave about it you, dave schmidt like he, he's the guy who connected me up with y'all and um yeah. I was telling him, you know, there's just something that I find like kind of disconcerting about the art style. And he's like, nah, I find it kind of friendly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, they use a lot of these like nice pastel colors. And I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm comparing it to all the places you will go. The book I read to my son, the Dr. Seuss book. And I'm like, he's right. This is like a very violent Dr. Seuss book. And like, so do, did you guys set out to make that sort of, that sort of contrast? Because there's lots of rich colors going through the whole book and it seems out of place when you look around the corner and, you know, some guy's getting dismembered or their head chopped off or something. Is that intentional or? Yeah, yeah, that was intentional like early on, especially mm. uh, like with the colors, you know, uh, to do like a fantasy story, like you can do anything with the colors. So yeah, you, know, you don't have to use what's perceived around you in the regular world. Like a tree doesn't need to be brown. Everything doesn't. So, you know, with our influences coming a lot more from comics, but mainly like some of the cartoons and things like that, it's like you can have a pink sky, 
you know so then we base it more on like the scene like different palettes for different locations you know different characters how do you balance colors with the backgrounds you know and keep it fun and somewhat inviting like because it's not it's not necessarily like a a kid's comic but you kind of want it to feel inviting at the same time in a way so it's kind of a weird blend you got to balance it out kind of yeah and uh yeah just the like the artistic influences um that come through it's it's more expressive um so usually you get more expressiveness if it's a little more sort of cartoony for i guess that would be the term um and you know and you can you can connect more with characters i think uh usually in in a little cartoony cartoonier style than in something that's trying to be super realistic you know like you know if it's like a dinosaur well maybe he wouldn't have lips that are as animated as how we draw them and stuff like that but if you draw him like he might really have been then you just lose all that connection the human connection yeah that like that's the biggest challenge i think initially designing the characters and things because if you draw you draw like a crocodile or something a character like that and he's realistic like he's just gonna his mouth's just gonna open and close like there's not gonna be any real emotion you know and that's like comics are really great at conveying emotion so you really try to find that balance you know it's you know realism when do you make it cartoony and then it it gets a little cartoony just because of the scale of the characters the way we wanted to play them up you know so it's like every character is a different size yes you know makes it its own challenge when you're trying to draw it but uh, you know you got to make up inventive ways to get all the characters on a page mm. but it you know i think it's visually interesting that way <laughs> yeah no i like that and and the idea that you don't have to be tethered to realism is is a massive thing that i think is often that there's this there's a sense i think especially as we look at like uh, uh big players like disney um going through and essentially making live action versions of their prior work i have felt little desire to see them you know like and a lot of it has been just we we just kind of imagine that if we only we make the resolution better we'll have a better product and it's not like budget was not the thing that made the lion king like you know it not as good as it could be if we did like full fully rendered uh, CGI warthogs singing Hakuna Matata with their cold yeah. dead eyes. It would be so much better than like, you know, the the animated version, but it was animated. That was a stylistic choice. It wasn't just that they were limited because the tech wasn't there. And I think you see almost like, I don't know, some of the same things even with like Star Wars and things like that, where yeah. they did the prequels and, and Lucas had long been enamored with, with technology and wanted to use it more. And like, I think he stuck to his guns essentially and just did what he, what he did before, except CGI was the new realm and it just looked... Yeah not that great but it was you know uh the hobbit even you know as as we kind of lean on these things sometimes like the visual style of something it there's something to that like more (laughs) realism isn't necessarily a a better thing like ghost in the shell was not improved by making it not anime and instead of live action you know it's like and I, I love that idea about using your color palettes because you're in a, a fantasy world and, you know, it's, you, you open the books and you're like, you, you, you're, you're well aware that this is, is not Chicago, you know, like you're not, you know, you're not, you're not in Kansas anymore. When, when you open it up, you're in a 
different place altogether. And um, yeah, I think that's fascinating, especially like the size differential in the characters was another thing. That's amazing. Cause you, you guys, uh, your lead character at one point gets in a fist fight with um, Brachiosaur. Yeah, Borvo. Yeah. Yeah. Who is many times his size. And it's like, it's, it's a great fight because it kind of, to me, is realistically rendered because he kind of gets his butt handed to him for like the first half of it. But it's like, there's, there's a challenge in that. And I, I find that really interesting that some of it is like the cartooniness of it makes the characters yeah. approachable. And the color palettes you're using, you're kind of freed up to use colors that contrast rather than colors that are necessarily realistically rendered especially because the dinosaurs presumably would probably have some innate camouflage right so the theory would be is that they kind of just blend into whatever they're near not like chameleons but just like they have color palettes that are like similar to their background but you're kind of free from that you can kind of just make it how you want by going with this cartoony mm -hmm. style that's yeah really kind of sometimes like when i'm designing pages and like scenes sometimes like i'll try to kind of imagine like what if it's if you were a kid playing with action figures, you're going to imagine all sorts of colors and weird scenes and things going on. So you're not going to play with toys and think about, you know, oh, it's a, a gray background, whatever. You're going to imagine the wildest thing ever. So, you know, you try to look at it almost through a, you know, a kid's eyes and try to develop the style that way a little bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, and we can play, we can play with emotion uh, that way, you know, with color or something else we're doing, you can, you can change it for a moment, change it for one panel or something and just let, just let your color or something get across anger or some other kind of feeling. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a really well-defined feeling, just, just an overall sense. Like you said, sometimes it feels a little uneasy, yeah. you know, you can just uh, sort of design and, and put it all together to kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah, and I notice as well that your line work is fairly organic. There's not a lot of, um, you know, razor straight lines going through there. And I take it was that also kind of an kind of an intentional take to kind of create something that felt very slimy, <laughs> kind of like or gooey. If that's yeah, a good word, think, is that a good? Yeah. Word? yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's two parts. It's kind of the the way we wanted the world to feel, and the way I think about comic art in general. Like yeah. I, I like the old school. You know, it's a brush dipped in ink. It's not a brush pen, like no nibs. So it's all basically from listening to an interview with Jeff Smith, who did Bone, talking about he only uses like a number one Winsor Newton brush size. Mm -hmm. So I heard that a long time ago. So that's what I kind of practiced with. And that's what I've stuck with. So you kind of get a, a much more organic look to the line quality. And so like, that's all I use. So <laughs> well, that's it kind of. Works out for a story like this for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's fascinating because it's kind of like um, when we're talking about world building, there's loads of different elements that that, that can kind of come into it because it's whatever builds immersion for the audience. And it's one of the things I've been kind of toying with is the idea that like even the tools we use to create things, like whether we choose to use CGI or we choose to use um, like physical models or forced perspective, like the difference between Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit, essentially, you know, it's like a yeah. lot of practical mm -hmm. effects in Lord of the Rings that still hold up. Like you can watch it and you're like, wow, that still looks great. And I think there's some, something to be said for like, even making that, that choice of using this brush is going to communicate something about, about 
the world that you're kind of exploring that that works well given what you're doing as i say it kind of builds this very organic look to it and um like even your front cover here, I'm just going to show it here, but there's this awesome, uh, awesome beast basically biting the main character. And there is a tongue in there that just has these gross tendrils of like pink <laughs> slime coming out of it. And like, it's, it's a, it's like an, it's unsettling. Like, I think it should kind of be a little bit unsettling, but it's also, as I say, like these kind of pastel kind of like a color palette that's kind of coming out from all over the place. And so you, you get this sense of, um difference when you go into it that's really cool i like that so so talking about like kind of drawing you out of your own world um one of the things that i love and i was commenting on this just as you, you, know, you guys logged in um you guys have a really fascinating kind of metaphysics that you've thrown into the world and it's kind of commented on a few times like you can follow it at the beginning of the book. You guys give like a really nice, like basic, basic layout of like this thing that occurred. And as you read it, you're kind of like, that sounds like a fairly natural process in terms of like kind of volcanic activity, death, rebirth, but it's delivered in a way that has like really powerful kind of spiritual overtones to it. I'd love to hear you guys like expand on that because it, it's it's alluded to a lot. I feel it in every in every page as I go through it. The fight for survival and the will of fairer the planet. And uh yeah, just hit me. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of um yeah, you could call it like a creation myth. Um yeah. at, you know at the very beginning there. Um and it's kind of set up to give we wanted to give the the planet itself make it like an like an actual entity. It's not just like a place that everyone lives on, but it it maybe it maybe it it has its own actions it takes for its own survival. Um, and um and kind of like in a way you could you can read the story as like an environmental story, like in one sense, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. action adventure. But then underneath that, you can think about it just in in like an environmental. Um, kind of context um, and we just wanted to set up because everything is told from the perspective of Komodo and what his life experiences have been or what his people have gone through and what they have told him and so you're kind of um, you get his his perspective of what the planet might be doing to them are they cursed are they not cursed like, you, you know, we don't know for sure that that's his perspective is 100% true, but that's just what we know because he's the character we're following beginning. Especially when he's under the influence of psychedelic poison. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah, that yeah, really throws you off. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it was a fascinating thing to me because almost every creature makes reference to it. We talked a little bit about the mammals running around, um, scurrying about trying not to die. But there's also a sense in which, um, so, so like being a mammal myself, I tend to root for the mammals, but it's interesting that the mammals in this are chiefly antagonists and they mm -hmm. are fascinating because there's this sense, like, I have to wonder if the mammals are becoming ascendant or something is changing. And there's this sense that the hadrosaurs, uh, who is Komodo's uh, species, mm -hmm. is disappearing and he is 
reasoned it out that it is the will of Ferrer that this be the case. And so he seems to view himself as cheating death and um, yeah. not even like not even cheating is the wrong word because it's more confrontational than that like he is he's not like cheating at cards like he is he is giving death a black eye in a lot of ways but he kind of seems to view himself as living on borrowed time which is kind of like a, a fascinating kind of place because like i think that actually may be where my foreshadowing of death keeps coming in because i'm like he kind of wants to die but like it's a you know there's, there's a certain honor to it he wants to wants to die doing what he thinks he should be doing which is like chewing gum and kicking butt um but it's uh that that conflict is kind of present in there where the new the new is coming the old is leaving and there's this sense of nobility in it. and the, and the thing that blew me away is that is that as you as you rightly point out like a lot of the conflict is uh komodo versus environment like it's just the world that sort of just wants to kill him <laughs> like and he's just kind of trying to make it through and um that's that's fascinating. Like, I love that. But even the tyrants, the Tyrannosaur characters in this who are uh, horrifying, um, they seem to believe, they seem to have their own set of beliefs about the will of Ferrer yep. and their role in it. And it seems to be pretty coherent, actually, with what Komodo is saying. Uh, you want to go, you want to elaborate on that and like the different ways that different species may view their home in this? Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, our, sort of tyrannosaur intelligence species, uh, the Tyrannicons, they definitely have a different view of their relationship with the world. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it kind of comes across in how, how they behave and then what they think of other species like the, the hadrosaurs. Um, because yeah, um, but, but, they all, <laughs> but they also might be a little crazy, yeah. you know? Like they- They seem they like might, zealots in some yeah. way. Yeah, like they've taken it a little too far. And so you get like you get a bit of their perspective and how that is different from uh, Komodo thinking everything's out to get him and the planet just wants him gone and his people gone. And then you might come across like uh, um, Borvo or in the Brachio, the Brachio dance. And um, they have a, they have a different perspective of their own. You know, they're just like, well, we're kind of above everything and we look down on everyone because we literally look down on everyone because yeah. we're so huge we are the biggest yeah mm -hmm. and yeah and there's definitely a lot more conflict that'll be upcoming um mm. in in later issues between the like the tyrannicons and uh and komodo yeah 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 no that's good that's good that's good i won't ask you to elaborate anymore i gave you full permission to be coy before this started so you are you are free to do that no um that is that is fascinating because we do encounter some of these sort of unhinged um, pteranodons uh, in in the series, and I found it kind of interesting that they seem to have this sort of religious zealotry behind them that um, is only matched by the religious zealotry of uh, of the main character, right? Like, which it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to see them. Like at one point, there is a character um pteranodon who is eating and as i think i think she eats um she's talking about you know with this meat you know like guide me and give me give me this kind of wisdom and and appears to be talking to themselves and also kind of like to their god and it's unclear whether they're talking or some sort of mystical things and, and this is actually one of the things that i loved about the about your uh, about your books is that um they 
it's never quite clear whether like the metaphysics is like the real deal or if they're all just kind of doing what societies have you know done throughout history and just kind of tried to explain phenomena um or if they if there is kind of something to it because there's not mm -hmm. like a magic system that, I, that I've, I've seen yet um everything seems fairly grounded in sort of a very material sort of way um i think the most magical thing i saw was a two-headed uh mammalian uh beast and uh but other than that it's kind of like i it's not it's not clear to me that there's any any substance to it. It mostly just seems like a lot of what different things believe. And that is odd for a fantasy setting. Like usually there the gods are there. Like it's like I worship Helm and I can heal people because of that. Um, how much of this do you have worked out? And how much of it because you, you've got to drop these breadcrumbs in and that's complicated. And how much are you kind of winging it a little bit with regard to the kind of larger metaphysics? Like, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, this is always kind of a question. How much is too much when you're world building, right? And it strikes me like I see a lot of depth in what you're making. And I also want to be careful here because like, I, I it, this is another one of those permission to be coy kind of moments <laughs> where it's like, I guess how much how much have you made and you know is and you know is coming in terms of the broader metaphysics and how much are you piecing together on the fly to kind of convey an emotion or an aesthetic i would say we like it's very well thought out and developed fully but yeah. we the parts we're piecing together is as we're going through the story like what can we show in the story that doesn't kind of derail what the primary focus of the story if that yeah. makes sense so like how do you make the story develop organically yeah. as it's going along but keep piecing together the underlying metaphysics of the world and the belief systems yeah yeah there's there i'm sure we'll get to the end of it of this story and there'll be stuff where we'll be like we had it all worked out different things but we're gonna have to leave parts of it up to the reader to piece together in how you know because it's just not going to be able to cram all that in yeah you know because because i think story has to be number one when even in a fantasy setting in a comic like you don't have chapters where you can you know just describe stuff you oh, have you, you've, you've got this limited to... space yeah. yeah so and especially because we made it a chase story you yeah. know we made it like you know it's like a john carpenter story or something where you, you you're going you're, yeah. You drive right in yeah. and you're going. So, you know, if, if we stop and have him, you know, visit whatever, a tribe of Triceratops people doing tools, yeah. like, does that really make sense for our character? Like, is, should he be wasting that time? So, so we have it planned out, but we also have to be careful. You know, we're being careful. We're trying to, like, the way we show it throughout this. Yeah, you know. and, um, and there's always, uh, you know, you got to think of, how much do you actually need to need to tell? How much do you actually need to need yeah. to show? You know, so we might have we might know um, a lot more than maybe we'll ever really put in put in the story because yeah. it, it's a little bit better with a little more mystery and and not knowing yeah. how everything works because maybe if you knew everything it still it still wouldn't make sense because you know they're not they're not humans and maybe so so alien from what we know 
Yeah. But it, it, it didn't really. It just wouldn't compute. Didn't add much. I think. I think yeah. both of us we like fantasy stories that also leave a lot to the imagination. Like they don't yeah. spell out all of it for you. You know, even something like Adventure Time. I I liked. I love Adventure Time, but I like almost the first seasons when I didn't know the history of Ooh and the world yeah. and everything that happened. Yeah. But they eventually tell you, and it's cool. But the first half of the series, you're just kind of imagining what happened, yeah. you know, and I think there, there's something special. in it. so I think we take a lot of that into what we're doing with the story. Like, I don't want to spoon feed you everything. I want you to think about whatever you want while you're reading it. Like, oh, you know, you might imagine something totally different and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Like, honestly, like it's, it's one of the working definitions that I have of world building. Cause I, as I was telling you guys, before we started recording, like every couple of weeks, I kind of go, yeah, I think world building's this. And then somebody tells me something kind of blows my mind. But one of the things that I keep thinking about is uh, world building for me is very closely tied to a feeling of wonder. And mm -hmm. it's the, it's looking out and not knowing what's around the corner. I, I think it's best summed up when um, Lord of the Rings, they're rowing down the river and they look up and they see the Argonath and you see the, uh, their, their carved uh, statues of kings of old. Yeah. What do they tell you about that? Nothing. <laughs> You're just moving on. <laughs> you know, it was the old, it's, you know, if you read around it, you know, it was the old border of Gondor and all this kind of stuff. But you wonder like, why, why are there no Gondorians there? Like, why is there, you know, what's the tower doing? What they're worried about orcs. Why would orcs be in Gondor? You, and like you start piecing this stuff together and you, you don't know what to make of it in the moment. And they tell you very little. And I think you're, books do a good job with that. Like going through, I, I've seen ruins that I've wondered about. I know, given your explanation at the beginning, I know there've been multiple cataclysmic events and that there seems to have been some sort of a sense of a, like a blessing of sapience that gets put on some creatures and not mm -hmm. others. And it's unclear how that plays out, but it's referenced like ever so slightly. And I really appreciate the challenges because you guys have two volumes here and mm -hmm. they're, they're not small, you know, like they're not, they're not tiny comics, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's got some, it's got some content here, but at the same time, because of the medium, you're always, you're always having to show a lot more than you necessarily tell and decide what's critical to the story to bring about. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me that you guys are it would constantly be wrestling with like, ah, do we want to put a little bit here, a little bit there? Is this scene important? How does this fit? But um, no, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about working in comics is because it's a visual medium, you know, we can decide to, to just show something just visually and get so much out of that without having to explain it also you know we don't have to put it we don't have to put something in a caption box and uh and say well this is this this is why this is here or this happened to this you know we can just just show it and if it's interesting visually you know you'll you'll just get get enjoyment out of that you'll start to wonder and i, I love that that's the way you actually open up each of your volumes is just a, a series of just vistas, just little little scenes of the world with absolutely zero explanation, but a lot of clear design. Like you can tell something made this or this kind of like, and, and you're given no context whatsoever, but it kind of just leaves you with this feeling of sort of um, melancholy, desolation a little bit. I, I, I definitely get a, um, yeah. a, a vibe of, both post-apocalyptic to some degree and yeah. very kind of 
primal punk kind of like setup for it where it's like the tech the tech level appears to be like you know primal primal level like it's it's you know effectively like somebody's making metal out there i can tell that you know they've got some armor and things like that so like but you're still kind of really it's pretty bare bones, you know. It's it's sharp rocks is uh, is 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 a frequent feature, you know, uh, weapon wise. Um, that's fascinating. So, like, w- would you describe this to some extent as as post apocalyptic in any way, or yes, and also a little bit no. Ah, okay. um, so, some of the you know the sadness that comes through. I think a lot of that is comes from just uh, thinking about the natural world, even like our our Earth and the way species will come and go and go extinct. Um, and if you ever like stop and think about it, it's like, well, that's really sad. Um, and you know, if, if you if you've ever seen like the video of the the last uh, Tasmanian tiger that was in captive, I mean, it's on YouTube and stuff, and it's just like a black, you know, it was from the 30s or something, the last one. And he's just like hanging out in this little cage and. You know, it's just, it's just so, it's crazy sad <laughs> because you're yeah. just like, wow, you know, we, we shot all of those guys and here's the last one and you know what's going to happen to it. So yeah, that kind of comes, just comes across with the, just, th- just thinking about the nature of this world. And um, if, if it had like some real science, like our science behind it, like, oh, well, how did these guys develop or what happened? Um, maybe, you know, if an asteroid did hit, well, maybe these guys actually survived. Yeah. I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Like the natural kind of rhythms of our world. Uh, so, like to kind of go into like Adventure Time, right? Like without getting too lost in this, because anybody says Adventure Time, I, I'm happy to just disappear in there for a while. <laughs> but um, so the whole theme of it in, in Adventure Time, they talk about madness and sadness that comes with magic. And I think what that comes from is that most people who adopt magic are trying to stop change from happening, and that's what I think is really going on when they talk about the madness and the sadness the madness because they're so they're frustrated beyond frustration that despite all their great power they can't change it and they're sad because they have come to that conclusion at the same time and the kind of non-stop change in the natural world being reflected in what you guys put at the beginning there that's that's sensible. And that's, that's a lot of what I get from it. Cause as I say, you read that initial, initial layout of how your world comes together and it's displayed as a creation myth and it's poetic, but it describes pretty natural rhythms. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I think yeah. that you can, if with, with a little, with a little bit of physics and a little bit of biology, you can kind of look at it and go like, Oh yeah, yeah. I see how that works. But the way it's described <laughs> adds this adds you, you're adding meaning to dispassionate natural forces. Right. And uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. That's fascinating. That seems to me to be like a pretty big theme in your work and um, mm-hmm. really what all your characters are grappling with. So sometimes I find that like the worlds that we make are kind of asking a question and kind of, or, or seeking to find an answer to the question. Um, do you think we're zeroing in on what the kind of question that your world is asking or sorry, I'm I'm kind of I'm doing scat jazz now. I'm just kind of thinking about it because I think yeah, I think oh, the concepts you guys are playing with are, are I think are fascinating and I think are well displayed in the uh, in in the book. But I also don't know if I'm just uh, uh, bopping away into this stratosphere. Well, the the world we've set up being you know it's a, it's a world where you know life or death just happens. So it's not like the world we live in where like 
you're you'd be afraid to we die. feel removed from it. right you yeah. know what i mean yeah. yeah they grew up in this world that's always been like that's been you know they're used to a certain level of melancholy or you know death is just part of it so if yeah. you're not worried if you're not worried about death what now where do your beliefs shift like if if he's you know our main character he's not worried about dying he's worried about you know what happened to his people or you know is the world against him not necessarily death and he's just if he dies he dies almost that's how he starts out you know that's where we pick him up at so you know if if that's your world view or for all the characters you know they they're thinking about grander ideas i guess in a sense you know? yeah trying to find i guess like a balance like these these different these different species and and uh, um sort of intelligent races just trying to trying to find how they fit with what they think of of the wider world like if it if the world is its own sentient being like where where do they fit in with that how do they relate to that and um so that would be kind of uh you know where where it's going and and uh you know we might answer that for for some of them or you know or none of them (laughs) (laughs) yeah no open questions are great i'm super happy with look i yeah, I think I, I think what you guys have made is is fascinating. I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I think the world as you presented in here with your style of illustration and your the story being fast paced, so you're kind of whipping through the world at a good speed. I think it all fits together really nicely, especially the with the little bit of time that you give each each book to kind of just just sit in the world for a second you know there's like this brief amount of time and that feels like this kind of drip fed world building that makes a lot of sense to me the world just sort of is like it's it's like adventure time makes zero sense they break every rule in the book they just simply deliver the world and ask you to accept it and i think there's a sense in which you you you've done that here um, really well. Like it's, it's, it's intriguing. <laughs> like, and it's, it's a world I want to spend. Actually, no, that's a lie. I don't want to spend any time there. I'm horrified by the world, uh, yeah, but yeah, I want to, fi- <laughs> but I'm invested in the characters and I want to know kind of how it unfolds. So um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us guys. I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but um, where can we find your stuff? Where can we find you? Um, any other projects you guys want to plug? Well, we're uh, halfway through the third volume of Dino Beast. So uh, hopefully we'll have that out uh, this year. Um, and then uh, we've got two more planned after that to sort of wrap, wrap this story up, uh, as well as some other, other comic projects uh, that are, you know, don't involve dinosaurs. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can uh, get Dino Beast uh, at dinobeast.com. We got a website with a shop uh, and uh, yeah. there's lots of art and, and um, background stuff on there that you can look at and see. That's yeah. perfect. And uh, we're both, we're both on Instagram uh, at uh, James Coates and at John Coates. And then uh, we have a Facebook page. Yeah. It usually hey, do updated, somewhat updated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's up yeah, to date. That's okay. Yeah. And that's just, uh, if you just search Dino Beast on Facebook, you can find, find us. Well, that's perfect. We'll put all of that in the show notes as well. So folks can find you and you guys, you guys have it pretty easy. That's pretty good. Just you, the name wasn't taken. Dino Beast. Good to go. Like that's, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, we love that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. 
Hey, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thank you for joining the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the World Craft Club Podcast. Thank you for listening.